For more than a decade, FTI has strived to become the leader in the aftermarket, performance, transmission, and converter industry. We've joined forces with McLeod Driveline Components under the leadership of Top Fuel Funny Car pilot Paul Lee and now have a larger distribution network, more resources, and more power. Come see us in the pits and ask how you can join the FTI family. It's not cheating. It is the competitive edge. It's time for an inside look at the most powerful motorsport on the planet. WFO Radio, NHRA Nitro. This is WFO Radio. Hey, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving week. Joe Costello back with you, WFO, as we get started. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, Tuesday came fast. It came super fast. And no, it didn't. It didn't. This is Monday. This is Monday. We're starting off on a Monday because Tuesday I have to take care of some things in town. That's the way I'm positioning it. Taking care of some things in town here in not so sunny, very rainy and miserable South Florida. I got to note that when it's the case and it is the case been raining for like four straight days, but that's not going to stop us from getting together on WFO. We got Alan Reinhardt who joined us on the phone line last week. He was off on the quest for Barracuda parts. And so we're going to find out how that went. We're going to recap some more uh, detail of what happened in the 2022 Camping World Series season. Some Lucas Oil points as well. Expand a little bit on some of the details and just get together for our winter break programming start, uh, which will happen. But since we're doing this at a an unusual day and time, I would need some help from everybody out there, like likes and thumbs ups and shares and all that stuff to get the word out for everybody that logs on on Tuesday to see the show. You guys will see it. In the future, it's an on-demand program, and we are going to have a great time. Also, later on this week, we're going to have a happy hour with Jason and Courtney. I know everybody loves those. Jason and Courtney and I strategized at the award ceremony about doing some more happy hours, and uh, we're going to do them during the winter break and the prolonged uh, delay between now and March. And so 3 p.m. Eastern time, happy hour, Jason and Courtney on Wednesday, and they're going to dish on the award ceremony. Like, what did they see? What happened? All the stuff that was supposed to stay, you know, what stays in, what happens in Pachanga stays in Pachanga. We're going to do that show and then get ready for happy Thanksgiving. It is going to be great. I'm super excited. Before we bring on Alan, I do want to tell you about the people who make it possible for me to go WFO. And it's been a great season with these sponsors. And I'm super excited. The folks at Phillips Connect. Wow. What a year that they had. Phillips Connect from a, Three race sponsorship in the NHRA to signed on for the future with Justin Ashley jumping on board, supporting WFO with their smart trailer technology. Mr. Epler announces the 300 mile per hour club to the eighth mile. I fully expect someone will get that at the start of the 2023 season, but it's all an exercise in education. You've all been out there on the road next to a big tractor trailer. And wouldn't you just love to know that they were using smart trailer technology to keep their load safe and keep you safe and everybody safe out there on the road is a wheel hub heating up is the thing uh, not loaded when it's supposed to be loaded. Where is it on the road? All of these things are handled by the Phillips connect smart trailer technology. If you're in the transportation industry, you should definitely check them out. And uh, they've come a long way in just one year. Amazing stuff. Bernie speed shop. Been talking a lot about Bernie. See, I was thinking about Josh Hart, what kind of season he had. He had a great, sophomore season compared to uh you know 
running a part-time season. He was at a lot of races for the very first time over the course of the year. He made a couple of final rounds, made a final round in the countdown. I was just uh, studying that deal. Josh Hart was runner-up in St. Louis to Steve Torrance. So they had a great year. And how are they able to do this? The answer is RNL Carriers and Bernie Speed Shop. Bernie is Josh's business. It's in Ocala, Florida. They've got millions of dollars of inventory muscle cars, exotic cars. They've got some cool Bentleys. Go to their website, bernies.com, and just bounce around. Check it out, like I often do, uh, just looking at what they got. I saw a 1982 Corvette. It's like $15,000 or something. Like, man, that would be a cool cruise around, right? Reinhardt's got his Cuda. What could I get from bernies.com? Guys, do that, and we've got some interesting stuff that's going to happen during the winter break. Uh, thanks to the folks at Bernie's. So check that out. And thanks to Josh Hart for supporting the show. Of course, Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. Big things happening at the PRI trade show that I cannot tell you about other than to hype you up. Big things happening. It's going to be very fun. Like the Total Seal booth, if it wasn't already, which it was, is the place to be. You're going to want to be there. You're going to be around learning about Ring Seal, watching live episodes of Hidden Horsepower. You can go to the podcast feed, check all that out. But there's going to be another thing that I think is going to be great. Probably have to like unveil that right before PRI on a Hidden Horsepower episode, but be ready for it. But it's all an exercise in Ring Seal and not just rings for engines, high performance engines, but for anything. Air compressors, old school tractors, that project you've had laying around for a million years. Oh, I got a Studebaker. I don't know what to do with it. Who makes the rings? Total Seal does. Totalseal.com. FTI Performance Transmissions and Torque Converters, a great new relationship here in 2022. Paul Lee's uh, business. And uh, you, you didn't have to go far beyond the winter circle to see why FTI is a performance leader, whether it be multi-million dollar bracket races across the country, whether it be dot .90 races. Or Weekend Warriors, FTI Performance of Deland, Florida has got it. So as you refresh your stuff during the winter break here, I know there are a lot of reasons, like personal relationships or your region of the country. Throw all that out the window and go to FTIPerformance.com because really the thing that matters is winning. Yes, winning. Appreciate those guys. Later on in the show, I'll tell you about samtech.edu, the School of Automotive Machinists and Technology. We'll talk about Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School and why that should be a great gift for the holidays. Send your loved one to the Dragster Adventure. And then Marvin Rodax, coffeeandgrills.com, the hot sauces and spice rub. That's what you should be ordering right now to send out for the holidays and skip all that other stuff. Just go with the Rodax holiday packs and you'll be a home run. Later on in the show, I'll tell you how to become a Patreon. I just sent up a Patreon message for those guys. Monday motivation on an actual Monday. But now it's time to go out to Tucson, Arizona and find out what Alan Reinhardt is up to. What's up, AR? How are you? I'm in recovery mode, actually, to tell you the truth today. I uh, I worked too hard yesterday, and so I might just take the day off. That's something that I've never heard Alan say. I've never heard you say, like, I worked too hard. What did you do? Well, my truck. Yes. Three-quarter ton, turbo diesel, four-wheel drive, six-speed yes. that I drove to Amarillo last week. Yes. It was making a little noise when I got home. So, uh -oh. that's all that's left of the throttle. Oh, no. Have Where's you ever pulled a six-speed cast iron transmission and transfer case out of a three-quarter ton truck to change one of those? No, I have not, coincidentally. I did yesterday, and I won't again. <laughs> 
Right. Like you had to do that by yourself. What do you, how are you doing that? You had your neighbor come over? Like, how does that ha happen? Uh, one of my shop neighbors came down and gave me a hand. You couldn't, uh, I don't believe you could do it by yourself. And the thing's so heavy that we did it on the floor because the trans jack that he has um, wasn't, didn't have enough capacity to do it up in the air. And I really think it was easier to do on the floor anyway, other than having to get up and down 178 times to make it happen. But I got it done and uh, I'm happy that that's fixed and I'm happy that that's over with. And if it ever goes out again, it's going to be, uh, can I bring that by and drop it off? And here's my credit card. Have it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Good note. Here's my credit card. Uh, everyone says hello. Blake says hello. Monica says you deserve a break, Alan. You deserve a little bit of a break. He doesn't want a break, though. That's what you guys don't understand is that he loves. Yeah, I'm not good at breaks. He's not good at breaks. He's not good at breaks. Mark says, I am uh, as Christmas is WJ and Kurt back in 2023. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be great if Warren Johnson came back? Like rumors about old school pro stalkers coming back. I think everybody loves those. And wouldn't that just be great? Do you see them selling uh, tickets different in the future? Lots of room at the races. Oh, we can we can touch on that. But I'd rather I'd rather keep it positive. Alan, you've been doing this a long time. I have been patting myself on the back for my very hyperbolic column in the National Dragster at the start of the season that it would be the best season ever of NHRA drag racing. And I think it's on people to disprove it, right? This was certainly a great one. We could get into the weeds about was it in fact the greatest ever, but it it was a great season. Um, I don't think there's too many negatives to even linger upon. No, there certainly aren't. And, you know, you could go on and on and then you end up in, you know, eras, right? Like, you know, was Hank Aaron better than Babe Ruth? Well, it's hard to compare because the eras are so vastly different. But it was a good season. We had... Uh, you know, just some incredible on-track competition, some great moments. Uh, you know, the couple little downers like you always have, right? Gainesville when it rained out and we had to push a bunch of the stuff back. But I think you look at, especially the run and the countdown to the championship, you know, good weather, good racing. And every week it was a hold my beer and watch this moment for somebody. And, you know, it, and it ended up, you know, except for Erica, who stunk up the whole show, Erica, you stinker. Um, you know, it ended up everything coming down to Pomona and pretty exciting finishes. You know, even though Brittany's was over very early, but you know, you look at height and caps and what they did. And, and I think, you know, you could, you could certainly make the argument. I, you know, I've said a number of times over the years when we could come home from a race that if that was your first experience and you didn't think it was cool, don't come back. Well, if this was your first full year of NHRA and you didn't find something you liked about it, thank you for giving us a chance. But we had a little bit of everything this year, you know, from exciting highlight reel moments to incredible close finishes to big upsets to, you know, who saw that coming. And, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Okay. So here's Dennis's comment in real time. And this is it. If you got questions, you can put them up. Now's the time for that kind of stuff. Uh, we're waxing nostalgic. Do you see them selling tickets differently in the future? Lots of room at the races. So I'm going to push back on that. I didn't see a lot of room at the races. I saw... Um, I saw some sellout crowds. I saw packed houses. NHRA drag racing isn't the kind of sport where everybody always goes and watches from their seat. They're all over the place. They're at the rail, two, three, five, ten deep, depending on where we're at, like Maple Grove. Where would you fit more people at Maple Grove? And so 
even even the Auto Club Finals, like Mitch, uh, the Jay Selig, right, who is a diehard super fan, who is, uh, you know, we love him on WFO. But the one takeaway was like, you know, why did they close the other side of the track at the Auto Club Finals? And, you know, they covered those seats. And wouldn't it be better to sell those seats? The answer is, okay, what's the answer, Alan? Like, I, I pushed back. Brian Loans pushed back. We both pushed back on Twitter. But when people want to see something as a negative, that's their right. So, you know, how much time do we spend saying that right side of the racetrack is inconvenient to get to. You got to staff it over there. It's just a total loser, man. They should have never built it in the first place, according to me. Um, what do you say? What say you? I well, thought like, I mean, he had a great year. I, I think we had a great year, too. And, you know, the one thing that the West Side Seats does have a moment is the sun's not rise in the afternoon. And you're pretty close to the racetrack. So I think those are all pluses. But at this point in time, uh, you know, they simply aren't needed. If if ticket sales demanded that it reopen, it would reopen. But the reality of the situation is, decide for me what you call a success, okay? If you had taken the crowd that was at Pomona and put it in Phoenix, you didn't have any place for them to be. You know, Pomona has massive grandstands. And I would rather sell, and I don't know what the number is, okay? I'm just making up numbers here. But I would rather sell 500 tickets in an 800-seat stadium and have it look half empty than to sell 350 tickets in a 300-seat stadium and go, wow, look at the crowd that was here. I'd rather sell the tickets. And some of the stadiums that we are in, Indianapolis is one, Gainesville is one, there are just massive amounts of seats. And they sell massive tickets to those events, but they don't sell as many as they have seats. And I'm not calling that a loser. Like I said, I'd rather have 500 people in a, seat, in a stadium that'll take 800 than to have 350 people in a stadium that'll take 300 and be able to beat on my chest and, and say, you know, look at the massive crowd. And that's really the situation. You know, Chicago, and we're going back to Chicago this year. I expect it to be pretty full simply because we haven't been there in a while. And obviously, for everybody that bemoaned, right, oh, poor, you know, poor Chicago, NHRA abandoned us, NASCAR abandoned us, nobody loves us anymore, come support your racetrack. And I expect people to do that, kind of like an inaugural event is always a sellout. But the place is massive. And if you took the crowd from Chicago on any given weekend and went to Epping, you'd fill the place twice over. I'd rather have more people and a few empty seats than fewer people in a smaller stadium. And that, you know, I'm, and I'm not going to focus on the negatives either. I think we, I think we had a great year. We had good TV numbers. We had, you know, solid, um, solid ticket sales at the racetrack. And as far as, you know, if you were going to, if, if you're going to point out a problem, and I'll put this as a challenge, okay, and send me your answer on, you know, announcer at NHRA.com, what would you do? You know, give me a possible solution to the problem. You know, I, it's real easy for me to go, well, that guy smokes the tires every week. We'll fix it. And, you know, if you don't have a solution, then point out a problem is easy. And if you do have a solution, I would genuinely like to hear it. Send me an email. Oh, sure. And now, then he's going to take your idea, folks, and he's going to send it up the, uh, the, the, the ladder. <laughs> like, this is a great idea that I came up with. But no, well, the, see, the, other, the other side of the thing, like everybody says, well, ticket prices are too high. They're not. All right. They're, too they're definitely not. Not if you compare them to other sports. Right. So if you sell tickets for 10 bucks, okay, great. You're going to have people swinging from the rafters. Maybe. But you're also going to have people looking at the show going, well, you know, I don't want to see a $10 show. I want to see a, I don't know, I want to see a better show than a $10 show. Because if you tell me, you know, whether it's a whether it's a Broadway show, whether it's a baseball game, whether it's you know this ticket's fifty bucks and this ticket's eight bucks, 
chances are, if I can afford it, I want to see a good show. I'd rather spend a few more dollars and you then have a perceived value. You know, you don't want your sponsors thinking, of, you know, I'm spending money to sponsor a $10 show because that's not what we put on. We put on a much, much better show than that. Major League Sports. And uh, in this time of, uh, you know, post-pandemic, right? Like I, I just, and I'm spending a little time on this because it's all what you want to see. And that guy who's got a car in his picture on Facebook, and he's obviously a fan and he loves it. He's thinking about, he wants more people there, right? We all want more people there. It's, it's coming from a positive place. Like, how do we share our great sport that we love greatly with more people? And why isn't every race sold out because we're there and we love it so much? And the answer is there's a lot of answers. But the pandemic, man, it's still affecting the earth. Not just us, but the earth, the affecting the pandemic and two like costs and, and expenses and inflation and all these things directly related are affecting people. We were in Southern California. So Friday was, I thought, good. And Saturday was good. And Sunday was a blowout. People came out to see the final. Sunday was great. Massive track walk, not a negative, but a positive. If you're going to say something negative about any race, um, you might say Charlotte, too. Right. Except I talked to Greg at the track and he's like, no, we're happy. We're up. We were up over last year. We are up. That's it. You take this crowd, you put it at Maple Grove and you've got basically the same crowd. It's just a giant facility. So I choose to look at the positive. We had a great year, not a good year, a great year of on track competition. And if you talk about that, more people are definitely going to come. And if you compare our ticket prices to Formula One, which is a not as good show. I've been there in the last year. I took it in. I spent a lot of money to go. My own money. I did not get a media pass. Our show is better than the Formula One show, guys. It's better. There's more to do. It's for the ADD mind like we all have. There's more to do. I did not, and you might find this surprising, Alan. I did not get to meet Charles Leclerc. I did not get to hang no. out. No. Or Lewis Hamilton. Can you believe it? I was down there in Miami. I'm like, Lewis, where are you, Lewis? I did not get to hang out with Lewis Hamilton. But... John Force and Ron Cap and Robert Height, Brittany Force and Justin Ashley and Erica Enders. I could go up and talk to them at an NHRA drag race multiple times if I wanted. Now, what are you choosing? And the answer is that's what I would choose. So when people tell me that ticket price deal, I come at them with they should raise the ticket prices. You know, buck, two bucks. People can afford it, obviously. Um, but NHRA hasn't done that because they love their fans and they wanted to keep things at a, a marketable price. Let's talk about Let's talk about top fuel because I what I did was I just gridded the wins and runner-ups, right? Because sometimes you can okay. see a lot there. Like, obviously, Austin Proc, you know, the guy won two races and runner-up. So three finals in the countdown, two wins and a runner-up for Austin Proc. Totally changes me on the charity rule, right? Like, look, they gave it a ride with this charity rule. If they had won four out of five or something, why don't they deserve to be the champ? Um, that having been said, you look at uh, Justin Ashley. Three finals, just the same, but three first-round losses. So you can see exactly where they need to pick it up. Steve Torrance gets a win in the countdown. So even though he goes out, he still won in the countdown. Antron Brown, a couple of final rounds, a win and a runner-up. Um, but the same couple of names, with exception of Josh Harp, who got in there. This was a countdown that was dominated by a couple of drivers. And Brittany, only one win in the countdown. But enough with the points lead and enough with quality uh, efforts, semifinals and beyond, to win the championship. Well, you know, the key for Brittany was, 
you know, she obviously stubbed her toe coming into the countdown. The first couple of races in the countdown weren't what they were looking for, but then they were able to come back and recover. I still think the most fascinating countdown stat, as far as the top fuel cars are, other than Brittany Forrest after Las Vegas, every single race winner lost round one the next week. When Austin won Maple Grove, he lost round one the next week. When Antron won in Charlotte, he lost round one the next week. When Steve won in St. Louis, he lost round one the next week. Justin won in Dallas, lost round one next week. Brittany won in Vegas and then didn't lose round one. And that's why she won the championship. Yeah. And and that's why she won the championship. The the countdown focuses everything. It makes it more intense. And you can't, you know, you win a race and you lose first round the next race. It's gonna be it's gonna be a big problem. Uh here's a question for you, and this is one that I get a lot. Um it have, have to do with replacing a throwout bearing in a four-wheel drive Dodge diesel six-speed truck because I don't know nothing about that. Yeah, he's there to help you folks. Uh, but that's what your YouTube channel should be about, right? You doing that kind of work. Um, do you think they might increase sportsman entries for 2023, Alan? This is one that I get a lot. Like, why do they have quotas at all and it takes X amount of grading points to get in a race and that means the people who go to the races are the ones who get to go to the races etc and so on but i'm under the impression that this is a real estate and time problem can you explain it no that's exactly what it is you look at the midway you look at the hospitality that's in the pro pitch you look at and that is necessary okay if phillips connect could not have hospitality at the drag strip they would not be at the drag strip and, you know, if DHL could not have hospitality at the drag strip, they would not be at the drag strip. So that is a necessity. And that real estate has to come from someplace. Now, there are tracks that have enough real estate that you could add cars and add cars and add cars. And then you run into a time factor. If you have 200 super stock cars and you have 200 super gas cars and you have 200 super comp cars, there just aren't enough hours in the day to do everything unless you go to an indie format. Okay, where you start running cars down the racetrack on Tuesday and you start sending people home on Wednesday and Thursday. And that doesn't make for a great national event experience. I personally think that the national event should be special. And, you know, if you want to come to a national event, then support the regional series, support the divisional series. And that's how you earn your way in to the national events. But uh, I, you know, I, I don't make those decisions. That's, a, you know, way, way above my office in terms of, you know, floors of the building, if you get my drift. But I don't see that uh, I don't see that expanding in the near future because it's supposed to be special to get to go to a national event. And that makes it more special to win. So you've got to almost earn your way in, so to speak. Yeah. And the divisional races, right? Like you want to grow NHRA. That's that's area that should be marked for improvement. Uh, divisional and regional races. You've got the alcohol cars at many of them. And you've got all these stars of the Lucas Oil Series and you know, I don't want to say nobody in the grandstands, but plenty of room. Uh, and that's high level drag racing, extremely high level drag racing. One thing that I would like to, and as much as our pay grade is um, below this level of decision making, Alan, I do think that occasionally those decision makers do watch WFO in a down moment or two and might pick up on something that we say in the audience is for. Uh, certainly this is the... Uh, the tip of the spear when it comes to public opinion about drag racing. I would love to see a couple of entry spots put aside for what I'll call hometown heroes, right? From a region. We're trying to build up the credibility for uh, regional racers. Like let's say we're in Charlotte and 
Um, somebody is a you know a track champion there somehow. They're not going to have as many grading points as it takes to get into that race. I would love to see a slightly lower threshold of grading points for what I will call a hometown hero, a local racer from the region within a hundred miles of the track that races there on a regular basis so that they can activate their friends and fans to come to the race. I just hate the idea of like the local, you know, super comp track champ sportsman bracket race, great racer can't get in to the national event at his home track because he was unable to go chasing divisional points. I get it. But um, that's the only tweak that I, I would hope could happen in the future. Okay, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but from a devil's advocate standpoint, would you then bump somebody out that had five grade points and did go because you still got a quota? Yeah, I, I would. Or I would just add the five cars because I think at the end of the day, you know, let's call it four hometown hero spots. Like I, four cars in each of the Lucas categories. I, I know it will make a difference, but I think we can make up for it. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, it makes for an extra round, and that that would come into play. And again, I'm not against it. You know, I suggested a couple of years ago that for the tracks that have a regional event or divisional in front of the national event, right? Like if um, where do we go? Where we run the regional first. There's a couple of places where we run the regional, and then whatever three weeks later, or four weeks later, we run the national. That if you win the regional, that should get you an automatic burn. Because then you're now driving traffic to your regional event for people that are trying to earn their way into the national. And part of the response I got back was just exactly what I asked you. Would you then bump out somebody that has four or five grade points because Joe Costello won this one race? You're going to let him in and not let somebody else in because you still have a quota at some level. So I, I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but I'm just saying there's more to it than just, oh, that's four more cars. That's that, that simple. Don't worry about it. Well, the adding the round, right? Like if they pick uh, 64 cars, say, that is a very valid point. In which case, in my uh, model, I would try it. Yeah, I would try uh, not letting a couple of people with the least great points uh, get in for the hometown hero concept. But, um, you know, you could try something as, and not do it again if it doesn't as, work. As long as we're, you know, just completely revamping the sport. Yeah. Um, when I become the czar... I'm going to have a scepter. It's going to be freaking cool. Wait till you yeah. see me. And I will like annoy you. You are disqualified. But when I become the czar, yes. there will never be a buy run on Sunday. Because one of the things that I dislike in the Lucas series, especially, right? We run down to the semifinals at a lot of races. So we've only got the semifinals coming back. Now, if there's three cars left in the semifinals, then I have to race somebody to earn my spot in the final where you get a buy run. Right. Huge and it's advantage. on a new day, different, maybe different weather, different conditions, different. Da -da -da. You get a free time run and then one run for a trophy. Whereas I have to race two people to do it. And if there were, I would like to see that go away. Some point where you would just have to adjust the ladder and go, okay, look, we're going to have two buy runs in the third round or something. So that once we get down to 16 cars or eight cars or whatever you decide it's going to be, that those, you know, from that point on, unless somebody breaks, unless there's an on-track incident, that there are no buy runs. And I also think that that would be more exciting for the fans. If we have a casual fan that comes out on Sunday because, right, that's the day of the race and I want to see racing, I don't want to have to explain to him how come Joe doesn't have to race anybody. I'd rather have Joe race somebody. 
I well, listen, I totally agree. And we are. That's what these shows are, are for. And some of the best shows are these like just throwing stuff at the wall uh, shows. And in my quick peruse of the ladders this morning before the show, I did see uh, and it's worth a deeper dive by runs on Sunday, even in the in the Camping World Series, which is a little different, right? Because you can't uh, prevent them necessarily because it has to do with cars that showed up. But Byros on Sunday are bad. That's that everybody gets it. We would prefer it not be the case in the Camping World Series. If you only have 15 cars, you've only got 15 cars. I get it. But in the countdown on Sunday, bad. And I agree. The three cars, I get the buy run. I can just test the track. I can test myself. I can crush the tree. It is almost a crazy uh, advantage. Uh, let's see. Megan says, it's easy to think that there aren't a lot of people when you watch on TV. It's completely different in person. That's the deal. A lot of people just stay down in the pits. Scott says, enjoyed listening to both of you this year. Troy says, I bought the biggest tickets at Vegas and would have paid double for the experience I got. Right? And that's really the story. Um, but it is what Jeff Foster, raise prices. Raise the prices, Jeff. Raise the prices, Jeff. Right? I think he watches yeah, well, no, he does. he does. Well, look at Dale. And Dale's right. Go to the movies. That's a uh, ticket that's too high. And it is. You're going to, you know, drop like 15 bucks uh, to go to a movie for about two hours and 10 minutes, not to mention all of the stuff that you have to buy to be there. Corey Savoie saying, what's up? Everybody saying, what's up? I think Scott says, I think the biggest success in the media is the media coverage of the sport. Uh, you have reached out to every class in drag racing job. Well done, says Scott. Well, we've certainly tried. And I know that there are countless other shows and podcasts, Brian, Wes, others who have done the same thing. Monday morning racer, the power hour. Now I feel like I got to mention everybody, but if you want to cover drag racing, now you can find out the most intimate details of the sport. Is that my Jim Hughes or the other Jim Hughes? It's a Jim Hughes. I don't think it's your Jim Hughes. I've said for 50 years that people at home watching don't realize the number of people at the rails or walking in the pits. BIR has thousands of people at the campsite and thousands in the pits. That's the fact. I don't <laughs> think that's there are people that go to Brainerd and don't even know there's a drag race happening. So that might be a little bit of a skewed statistic, but uh, you know, they there are people that go to Brainerd because it's the end of the summer. And it's the last party before we have to put everything away. And that's part of the reason they just leave everything <laughs> at the zoo when they leave, right? You ever wander through there on Monday morning after? I mean, couches and stuff and trailers. And just, yeah, we won't be needing that anymore. Just leave it there and let Christy deal with it. Absolutely. Okay, Mark has a legit question here. Any new... <laughs> as if the others were illegitimate. Come on, guys, just kidding. Any news on crew chiefs going in different teams in 2023? Glad to see Zippy going to Tony in 2023. Makes them a contender for the championship next year. I do agree. Um, we talked about Aaron Brooks hanging out with the Tasca team. I don't know if the rest of that combination has been announced just yet. We'll know when it is. But as much as it's good for Tony, it's bad for Bob, right? Because Bob has got to renew his team. And, uh, you know, which direction do the crew guys go, right? Do they stay like, like Alan Johnson's team for so many years stayed with Alan until the scrappers deal. And then they didn't want to go to Michigan. And all of those things are all part of the calculus when someone makes a decision with their life, right? Like it's not all about who's going to perform well when you're a crew guy, who's going to win more, who makes me move? How much do I get paid? What is expected of me? There's a lot of calculus that goes into the crew chiefs, assistant crew chiefs, and uh, and crew guys. Well, almost always the crew chief has ultimate decision-making over the crews. 
there are certainly some exceptions, but if Tony is going to pay whatever he's paying Zippy to come over there and go to work, and or I mean Joe, right? It's Joe. Yeah. Which isn't peanuts. He's not going to tell Zippy, no, you can't hire a clutch guy that you're comfortable with, or no, you can't hire a bottom-end guy that you're comfortable with, because you don't want to give him a built-in excuse, I mean, for lack of a better term. That's why, even at, even at Schumacher's, I thought it was very interesting, you know, like Dickie Venables, when he was at Schumacher's with Matt Hagen, didn't use Don Schumacher manufacturing blowers. He bought Bill Miller blowers, because he liked them, he was comfortable with them, and as long as he's winning races, he can do what he wants to do. Right. And Don is not going to tell a guy, you must run my parts. And then when you get out run every week, the guy goes, well, if you give me a good blower, I could outrun the guy. So you have to let the crew chief call the shots. Now, as far as, you know, Tasca certainly could offer his guys the opportunity to stay, uh, assuming that the incoming crew chief, and let's just for the sake of argument say that it is Aaron, assuming that Aaron is comfortable with everybody that's there, then maybe there's an opportunity or, you know, Zippy might know all the guys that are over there on Tony's team feel very comfortable walking in and just go, Hey, let's keep the nucleus to the team. And I'll just come in and sit in the lounge and start calling the shots. That might work fine for him. Or he might want his clutch guy. He might want, you know, his blower guy because the guys that are comfortable with and understand, I think that, you know, the Alan Johnson thing last year is the biggest spotlight that's been placed in years about crew chief and crew and that both of them are important. You know, we used to, it was, it was hilarious when we were, you know, at Nick and, and Dino Room, you know, you're just sitting there doing it. Okay, what's, what's the timing at? Well, I'm 32 and a half. And David would always, always come in. You know, no, that's 32 and 5 eighths. It's like, come on. But he just, you know, his way was just this much different than somebody else's way. And it's very important for the crew chief. When he's making a, we're going to change two grams on the clutch, or we're going to open a flow early, or we're going to start the timing curve, you know, a tenth of a second sooner and go two degrees less to know exactly what the car is. You know, you can't have crew guys out there that are close enough, close enough, close enough, because then when you start making the minute adjustments, you don't know what you're changing. You know, when, when you tell a guy, I want to take a tenth of a pound of air out of those tires, you better know how big the tires are. Because that all plays into it. It can't be which tires you put on. Well, you know, those two, because they were the ones closest to the car, and I didn't want to go get those two over there. They were too far away. All of that stuff matters. So you've got to have crew guys that you trust and that understand when, when I say a smidge, I don't mean a pinch. And everybody kind of, re that's, you know, that's why you get, that's why the teams that are together for a long period of time seem to do well because everybody gets comfortable with following instructions, understanding what's needed, you know, reading between the lines a little bit, reading minds a little bit, and just knowing that this is what my team leader wants. This is what he expects. This is what I've got to give him. And the team leader also understanding, I don't have to go triple check everything because if I tell my guys, I want 5.42 pounds of air in that tire, that's what it's going to be, not 5.45. And all of those things make a difference. So it just, it takes time to build that cohesion. Who's the leader of the team though? It, it, it's not the, it, in the case, like I'm thinking about Tasca, right? I'm just thinking about them as an example, but there's leadership situations and you've got your crew guys, which are, I don't want to call them the followers, right? But they're the team. And, but who's the, the leader? Soldiers. They're the soldiers. Let's call it that way. But 
is it the driver or is it the crew chief or is it the boss owner? In Bob's case, he's all of those, but the crew chief are, is the person who is the direct hands-on with the crew members slash soldiers. And so I don't know. I just find that relationship kind of interesting in that they all have to make their choices. Well, and that's exactly right. But the crew chief in almost every instance, the crew chief gets to hire the crew or at least has right of refusal. It's kind of like, you know, you wouldn't hire a new head coach and then go, oh, by the way, you have to use that defensive coordinator and you have to use that offensive coordinator and you have to use that. Unless if you're, you're going to hire. Dolphins. Unless you're the Miami <laughs> Dolphins in the last 10 years. Had, until recently. But yeah, that was our problem for the last 10 years. But continue on. Yes. Well, but that's the thing. If I'm hiring somebody to come over and take over this operation and I expect results, you can't handcuff the person. You have to tell them you're in charge. I expect results. If you don't get results, I'm going to be the guy here in your face, but I'm going to give you whatever leash you need, whatever room you need to move. Get me results. Get me results. All right. Next question out there. We got some great, like Troy says, a friend of mine went to F1 at Coda and NHRA at Vegas. And he said NHRA was a better experience. I love Formula One. I'm a Formula One fan. I like what they got. I think we've got to emulate a lot of the stuff that they do. The park or the field at the Strip at Las Vegas with that grassy area with the bars and the music and the rooftop thing. That was a great example of how we can emulate some of the stuff that they do for their fans to make it a better experience for our fans. But the show, like as far as the show, like what's on track, the show is way better in the NHRA. It's just more well-known over there. We can, we can emulate it and copy it and, uh, and do better. Well, I think part of this deal too, with formula one, they're a worldwide, they have a worldwide audience. They have a worldwide product and they race in the United States. What twice now? Three. Well, it'll be three times next year. Okay. If NHRA only had three national events a year in the United States, they would all be jam-packed. Good point. And that's another part of the thing. I think it'll be really interesting to see next year with the change in schedule because there have, there have always been the questions, right? Why not go Pomona, Phoenix, Vegas to kick off the year and then go to Houston, go to Gainesville, go to Atlanta to, instead of driving back and forth across the country? And market saturation is the easy answer. Okay, Phoenix is my home racetrack. I love wild horse pack. But if I have money to go to a race, you know, I don't have the money to go to three races in a month. Right. Would I choose Phoenix or would I choose Vegas? And that has always been part of the equation, right? You go to Pomona, you go to Phoenix, and then we go east. You know, you hit Gainesville, you come back across to Houston, you come back to Vegas, and now... I probably have recovered the financial hit a little bit, right? I mean, I can do something big every couple of months, but I can't necessarily do it quite two weeks in a row. So now I've got to make a decision and it'll be interesting to see what happens this year uh, when they actually do that. And that's, you know, that's a big part of the reason for a few years, they tried to experiment about running Houston and Dallas back to back and going to both of them twice a year. And it really hurt all of the events because if I live in Houston, and the forecast is kind of iffy. I'm going, you know what? I'll just go to Dallas next week and see the show. Right. And if I live in Dallas and the forecast in Houston is iffy, I'm going, I'm not going to drive down there. I'll just wait. They're going to be here next week. And it legitimately hurt both of them. And that's why they went back to, and that's again, that's why they were separated. That's why Houston was in the spring and Dallas was in the fall because we got a lot of great Texas fans. And if you move them far enough apart, that they're each a new experience, then you're going to get a lot of fans that go back and forth. And if you pile them on top of each other, you're going to get a lot of fans that just pick one. 
and this is an area where I can tell you not as a, you know, as someone who, who gets hired by NHRA to work, um, they're, they're working on all of this. They're thinking about all of this. This is part of the reason for the schedule. They want more people in the house. Remember we were the first, uh, motorsport to have fans back in attendance after the pandemic. Mark has got a question about when is Greg Anderson going to announce the new owners, uh, and who they are of the team. It's, me. <laughs> it's Alan Reinhardt. Oh, so, by the way, yes. uh, just got a note from Mike Salinas. He said, Aaron Cave is the leader of my team. So there you go. How about that? Wow, that's yeah. interesting. He did. He didn't. He yeah. didn't say uh, Rob Flynn. He just said uh, Aaron. Well, Who I hung out with Aaron. Now Rob Flynn is the guy that comes in. Five star. But general. Aaron Cave. Aaron Cave is the. He's the car chief. He's the guy that lives with the car, does the car, takes care of this car, and makes sure everything is done. So he is the guy who is hands on with the team, every but minute of every day. You're burying the lead, though. Mike Salinas is out there watching the show. That's what really is the point that everybody needs to know that this is WFO and Mike Salinas is out there watching. What are you doing, Mike? Hanging out? Love Mike. What a year. What a year, Mike Salinas. Mike, Mike does not spend a lot of time hanging out. He's hanging when out he's, right now. He's watching no, WFO. He's, he's, I guarantee you he's working somewhere. He is. He's on his way. It's funny. I keep in touch with him when, uh, when Jasmine is, when I'm at the races that Jasmine is attending and he's not there. Uh, I keep in touch with him, too. And every time I send him a note, he sends me back, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm working on. And I don't mean office with his feet on the desk. I mean working. So uh, I hung out with Aaron. Uh, for everybody out there who doesn't know the situation at the finals, there's a hotel that we stay at that's pretty much on the property of the track. And uh, Aaron was there as well. And I got to, and you know this, Alan, better than anyone, right? Like on race day and race weekend, everybody's working and it's busy. But to be able to spend a little time in a restaurant or a bar in 20 minutes, you can learn so much about yep. someone. And that's what happened. Aaron and I, we hung out for half hour over a beer. And I learned so much about him. I didn't know that he was part of the Bunny Burkett, Bunny and the Boys uh, thing that uh, I didn't, I didn't know all of those details. This kid is a drag. He's not a kid. Drag racing lifer has been doing this for a long time. And this is his like real opportunity to, to showcase his passion, his love. And I think the kid hit a home run this year. And also his brother, Adam is probably sick of me saying this, but he brought me my tie from Carducci's to save the day for the awards banquet as well. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. What did you forget your tie? Carducci forgot my tie. But that's a different story that we will not uh, we will not go into. So anyway, you know, when you own when you own your own your own your own tuxedo, you don't have to worry about things like that. Yes, that is true. But then again, I couldn't mix it up like the way Carducci's got me in something. You'll everyone will learn about more about Carducci on Wednesday when uh, the happy hour show with Jason and Courtney happens. All right, this guy, new owners of of KB Racing. Um, eh, I don't know if it's going to be what everybody is expecting after the first of the year is the timeline, guys. First of the year, we'll know, says Greg Anderson, that it'll be Alan Reinhardt after the first of the year. Yeah, I've got a couple of uh, silent investors, that, but yeah, it's me. Every, every open spot right now is me. Man, is Greg going to continue in this relationship? We know that Greg, is. he won't let you in the shop. Is that your I way know. of finding Finally getting into the shop, buy it. No, he still won't let me in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> still won't Ron, let me in. Ron says there were nearly 5,000 kids there on Thursday for the Yes program. And I saw those kids, 5,000 yeah. of them running around, getting their first experience at drag racing. That's your program, Alan. What's it like? Well, it's not my program by any means, but I, mm -hmm. I'm very proud to be a part of it. And I have been for a number of years. It basically is twofold it is a career fair where we bring. And it's really focused at 
like junior, senior level high school kids or those who are in trade schools uh, to come out and find out about potential careers, whether it's in the automotive service industry, whether it's in drag racing, whether it's whatever, and to spend a day at the races. Uh, it's a program that's been around more than 30 years. It started when Gary Densham reached out to NHRA. For those of you who don't remember, Gary Densham was a sh high school shop teacher who ran a funny car on a part-time basis. Now we're talking again, 35, 40 years ago. And he reached out to NHRA and said, I would like to be able to bring my students to the racetrack for a day and show them what we do, what's happening out here, what's it. And that was the beginning of what is now the YES program, which is Youth and Education Services, about bringing young people out, giving them exposure to drag racing. And since it's focused, its main focus is on students that are already in the industrial arts or in automotive programs or in that kind of thing, so they're car guys, right? We're not trying to get somebody that's a rodeo person to come out here and go, hey, look, you know, give up your horse and go for horsepower. But we're trying to find people that already have an interest and enthusiasm for cars and give them an opportunity to come out and see what's available um, as far as careers and as far as, you know, potential employment in the future, as well as turning them potentially into NHRA fan. Tremendous program. Excellent. At well, if you can take 5,000 people who have never seen the sport and say, look at this, that's great. That is great all uh, above it, by itself. And if they get involved, that's even better. John wants to know, he, why was Tony Stewart allowed to debut at a national event without going to a divisional race? Alan? Owner points. Owner points. The car was already entered. Uh, that was actually a John Coughlin race. Or Mike Coughlin race, excuse me, a Mike Coughlin race. Mike had something come up, was unable to make it. Uh, Rich reached out to NHRA and said, I'm already entered. Is it okay if I do a driver swap? And yeah, obviously it was. And then Rich actually talked Tony into it. Tony, did, you know, his initial reaction was, no, I'm not ready. I want to do some more testing. And Rich said, look, dude, you're ready. If you, if you wait and wait and wait and wait, you're never going to do it. You're ready. You need to come out and get in the car. But because uh, McPhillips has the owner points, because the car was already entered in the race, and in essence, they did a driver swap. Uh, and that's why Tony was able to do that. There you go. So you get answers on this. Uh, remember, subscribe, click the bell. Those of you on YouTube, we're continuing the YouTube migration. Of course, the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Corey Savoie has been asking about this one for a couple of weeks. Alan, during the Pomona broadcast, you mentioned that back in the day, you had to rewire a car after a paint job. Can you explain that? Nope. <laughs> Can you tell us uh, about if, that? If you have a pro stock car and you painted it, it would not run right until you rewired it. And I've never found anybody that could tell me why. You obviously take all the electronics out. Obviously, you know, your static electricity, da, 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 whatever. But after a car came back from being painted, it was always slow. And once you rewired it, it would be fast again. And I don't know why, but uh, I saw it happen over and over and over again. There was a couple of times where we, you know, partial paint, added some stripes, did some stuff. Surely that wouldn't have any effect on it. No, it's slow. And it was interesting at the time that I was involved, and I'm not sure now exactly, but there was a, a guy that lived in St. Louis. He was a commercial electrician, and he was the guy that did all the wiring for both Jerry Bickle and Jerry Haas. When they had a car that was completed, they would call him. He'd come over. It was about seven or eight hours to completely wire the car, and we would call the guy, and he would come down to Houston, and on a whatever day it was, you know, come in first thing in the morning, start wiring a thing. He'd be done with it about four o'clock in the afternoon and, and he'd head back to St. Louis and we'd take the car to the racetrack and it was fast again. 
I never found anybody that can tell me why. But I've never found anybody that can tell me, you know, how a master cutoff switch can go bad. But everybody's seen it. Yeah. Right? The car will start, the car will drive, the car will run, but the car will miss in high gear. And you change the box and you change the things and you change it and you change it and you change it. And then you change the master cutoff switch and you fix it. I've never found anybody can explain that to me. But I saw it and everybody at ProStock has seen it. Note to self, replace master cutoff switch. Okay. <laughs> well, it, and there are so many mystery problems. Michael Heiner has agreed to come on our Patreon show and talk about some of them. Um, that's what racing at the ragged edge of performance and technology is, right? Where thousands of a second matter, every little you know electron that passes through a wire at some point uh, matters. But it's the people making the right decisions that uh, that make a big factor in that, too. You got to have the people. Yeah, it, some of the stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, some of the pro stock stuff you run across is just absolutely ridiculous. There's no possible logical explanation except it happened. Exactly. All right, let's look at Funny Car. The ultimate slug fest, I think, right? Robert wins the first race over Wilk. We remember that at uh, Maple Grove. Wilk had that wildfire and then uh, red lighted in the final. I'm sure he's still annoyed about that. But then Caps comes back, beats Alexis in Charlotte. So Robert and Caps, one win each. Then Robert comes back and beats Caps in St. Louis. Caps making the final there might be part of the determining factor. Then Caps comes back with a win in Dallas over Hagen. Hagen beats Robert in the final of the next race. And you can see, and then the final round, uh, obviously we know what happened. Cruz beating Caps in the final at Pomona. Championship was over. But you can look at each one of these singular events and think had they gone a different way, it might have disrupted the entire reality we're now living. Yeah, and it was fun to watch. And part of the reason for that is because the players went head-to-head -head a number of times. You know, when when they first did the countdown to the championship and they made the final cut at two races, they were down to four drivers in two races. They only did it one year because, you know, in, in hindsight, it's like, no, this needs to be a bigger sample size, basically. But in those two races, none of the championship contenders ever raced each other head-to-head. And I think it's more fun when the championship contenders go head to head, when you know it's a 40 point swing, when you know that, you know, if I don't beat Joe, then I'm going to be 40 points further behind than if I do beat Joe. I have to do this. This is important. This is big. And it's the same on both sides. And it's fun. And I think the fans the same way. I think the fans like seeing the title contenders go head to head. And even though we didn't really have title contenders go head-to-head -head out in Pomona, they did enough times during the course of the countdown that you could get a sense for where I was going and then, you know, end up both of them end up having to run Bob Tasca out there. And Bob Tasca, even though he wasn't really part of the championship conversation in the last three weeks or so, he was a contender. I mean, all year long, that wasn't a pushover car that just all of a sudden surprised somebody. All year long, that car was tough. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And when the kids were coming out with him at Sonoma, he stopped the Robert Hyde sweep of the Western swing, all of that. But what I encourage everyone to do, and maybe we'll do this during the winter break, is just go back on NHRA.com and look at the ladders and look at the second round matchups in Funny Car that were super close and had they gone a different direction, right? Like find a race between two contenders, like Hagen lost a couple of really close races. Tasca lost a couple of really close races. There's one where... um you know, came down to a couple of thou. It was Hagen and Tasca. Tasca poked it in there, came up a couple of thou short. You're wondering, well, if he had poked it in there another inch, what would the outcome have been? And 
the whole everything could have ended up being different. And that's what you want. You want those, we, you know, marquee matchups that if these two uh, race each other, it's going to potentially change everything. But in the end, it was height and caps. They were the two best. Like I got, uh, you know, the whole tier system that we created earlier this year, right? Like in the end, those two were the top tier. Ron Caps and Robert Height, like they went out there and they put their impression on nearly every race of the countdown, especially in qualifying, and then Hagen uh, slightly behind. Well, I mean, those two won 13 races. Just those two teams this season won 13 races, which is ridiculous. And right. I also think that it's it's interesting that, you know, because the mentality coming out of the crew chief lounge in Ron's camp is different than it was say five years ago eight years ago ten years ago that they want those little bitty points they want to qualify top two or three they want to go for it when they can go for it and that has made the difference you know ron one year lost a championship to robert strictly on qualifying points actually one uh, one round more than robert did but robert outpointed him so bad on the friday saturday stuff that he made whatever it was 38 points or 40 points or some ridiculous thing and that was the difference in the championship but, you know, with Dean Antonelli and, and with Medlin in there, they are going for it when conditions say you can go for it. And if you think about it, that Saturday night run was the championship. They made four points for being low Saturday night and won the championship by three points. So if they don't have that mentality, if they go up there going, okay, look, let's just, you know, make sure we can go another 85 or let's make sure we get, then who knows? But you know, when when you get four bonus points on one run and you win a championship by three runs, I think you could say, yeah, that was a pretty important run we made Saturday night. Yeah, and that's the thing about our sport is the critical moment doesn't always come in the bottom of the ninth. It can come at different times in the event. Oh, look who it is, Michael Heiner out there. Michael Heiner, and he is answering a question. He says, static electricity from the dust in between the wires was the only thing we could figure out. Had to rewire <laughs> several cars after getting them painted. And I don't know if that's a legit answer or not. He seems a little confused also. But I said, I've never found anybody that could give me an absolute positive, this is the reason. But I don't know anybody who ever painted a pro stock car. And went, yeah, it's faster than it was before we painted it. He says, we saw it in high school with car stereos and big amps. Car would get painted and the subs would have issues, had to rewire the car. Can you imagine Michael Heiner as the big stereo system guy back in high school? Yeah. Yeah. I can actually. Yeah. When you when you imagine him like that, does he have a mullet? <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, because I'm imagining Michael Heiner with a mullet in high school. Oh, jeez. Do, do you want to talk hairdos or do you want to talk, you know, static electricity? There's comedy. There's got to be comedy in the show, Alan. There's got to be some comedy in the show. Um, what time's your Wednesday happy hour? 3 p.m. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, well, it's got to be at the end of the day for me, you know, because it's that's the last thing I'm doing before Thanksgiving. It's going to be great. Courtney, you're welcome to jump on if you'd like. I won't be available. Hop in. Well, you can certainly send a note, uh, a burn sick burn on Jason or, or Courtney, that would be great uh, either way. So I had, uh, I had one more thing I wanted to go more in depth on, right? Cause last week you're on the road. I don't think we, uh, we went in depth enough on, and, and there's this conversation is going to continue on, right? Someone's saying Grubnik doesn't get enough credit and that's probably true, but also he's one of the only things we talk about, right? Like David Grubnik is uh, gets a lot of the keywords out there. If you're putting it all together, but I want to talk since we're talking caps, Dean Antonelli's decision to make the run, right? Like, that was guts. That was a that was not a no-brainer to just run it. Many people were saying, don't run it. 
and HRA is going to alleviate the problem. Glenn Cromwell said they're going to fix the problem next year. It's not going to be a problem again. We're not going to put our crew chiefs in that situation. But the, you know, Cruz Pedregon would say, cojones, to do that, to, to no, we're going to run it. And Dean said, he told me right on the starting line, right after, he goes, we're going to run it. We're not going to do some chicken stuff like that. We're going to run it. And he said, look, we never, we haven't crossed the center line. I trust my driver. If something goes off, just step off. That's it. But just the same. That 385 getting close to the wall, it's a funny car. It could do anything. We know that. Dickie Venables told me it's a miracle they go down the track at all ever. Uh, <laughs> you go in that critical moment and run it to make the call. We're doing this and risking. We're risking it all. That, it's either dumb or it's courageous, but it's definitely something. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know what I would do if I was in that position. I mean, if somebody told me, here's a check for a half a million dollars, plus... And I have no idea what his sponsor bonuses are, but everybody's got built-in sponsor bonuses, right? I mean, there certainly had to be more than a million dollars at stake. I don't know that I run the car. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. And the reason he hugged the wall, and I've got, I answered this in my announcer email a number of times. If you touch the wall, that is a disqualification. It is not a point penalty. You get a point penalty for going over the center line because that is considered encroaching on your opponent's side of the racetrack, and that is a safety violation. And if you're, if you're touching the wall, you're not putting anybody else in danger. If you're crossing the center line, now you're encroaching on your opponent's side. So that's why Robert or Robert, that's why Ron said he was going to go over towards the wall. He was going to hug the wall. He said, if it makes a move, it's going to make a move toward the wall and I'll deal with that. But, uh, he wanted to take a shot at winning the race, right? I mean, it's the world finals. It's a track that almost his home track. He grew up a little bit further North, but it's a place that's very special to him. And he wanted to win a race. And you also, at least in my mind, okay, what if you decide we're not going to run it? Okay, you go up, maybe you do the burnout, maybe you don't, but we're not going to run it, right? And when they go up and stages a car, Dean goes, boop, and it idles down the racetrack. And then Cruz smokes the tires. And you could have won it running, you know, 820. Yep. Aren't you then going to be going, oh, my God, we just let the Auto Club Finals get away. We let our sixth national event of the year get away. We let that bonus money and da 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 and whatever get away. But on the other side, you're, you know, I, I would never go to Vegas and say, I'm going to bet $1,000. What if you win? I win 50 bucks. I just don't know that I would do that. Well, and that's why it deserves some highlight and discussion about that. Because, uh, you know, Dean Antonelli and John Medlin, Medlin's final race, all of that extra stuff. Ron Capps, first season as a team owner, all of that extra stuff. They, If they had made the decision to leave the car in the pit area, many people within the NHRA community would have supported the decision and attacked the NHRA for the rule. Um, but they, they, they said, nope, they shouldered the burden or the responsibility or whatever. They showed the courage to run the car, and they put up a great battle. They lost to Cruz, best run ever, Cruz. But um, it's worth talking about and thinking about and giving them that uh, accolade for giving the race fans what they want. And in the end, isn't that really what it's all about? Sorry, race fans, we're not going to show up because it's better for us. Um, it all depends, but they made the call anyway, and Caps got it down through there. I, and I applaud him for doing it, but I, you know, if, if something happens, right, the car makes the move, darts over, they clip the block at the finish line, then that's going to go down in history as the dumbest thing ever done 
So, you know, it, because it worked out, it's a great thing. Right. If it had gone the other way, it could have been, it could have been bad. And I, you know, again, I applaud him for doing it. I, you know, it's like, <laughs> but I'm just not sure if it was me, I'm not sure if I would make the same decision. I, I, I think that everyone needs to put themselves in that situation and think deep about it, deeply about it. Michael Heiner says, you know, that's what a steering wheel is for. Don't cross the center line. Um, it's yeah, but nobody ever crosses the center line on purpose, <laughs> right? Nobody ever goes, hey, this would be a good time to go doink a block. And race cars don't always do what you tell them to do. And Michael Heiner should know that better than anybody. Yeah. This is what I want my race car to do. What was that? It was a big moment and <laughs> that gutsy hour that they, they sure. process and we're going to have caps on and uh, Guido's going to come on and we're going to talk about it. We're going to get in depth on all of this guys, which is why you should subscribe and click, click the bell. So Alan, I told you this one's not going to be as long as the normal one and it was longer. Sorry. That's okay. Hour, you know? Yeah. You're not working today anyway, but a great uh, a Monday show. We're going to take off on uh, Tuesday. I've got something I got to handle around here, but um, we're going to dig into these details throughout the winter break. I do want to go a little more in depth on uh, Erica's season. Just looking at what Erica did made five of six final rounds. That's incredible in pro stock one, uh, one, four races and a runner up at the finals to Greg. Um, the only race that she didn't make the final was uh, Charlotte, Aaron and Matt Hartford made that final round, but just what a season of dominance for Erica. Her speech at the awards banquet was great. Um, we're going to have a lot of time in the winter break to talk a little bit about what we saw in pro stock, but this was a banner back to back years for pro stock. These last two years, 21, 22, Greg, Erica, the two five times becoming five times. I don't know, a seminal moment in pro stock history, I believe. We're going to look back at this, and this is going to be the where where the worm turned, right? And pro stock became something something even better than what it was. Well, you know, I've always liked pro stock. That's been my category because I'm a gasoline and carburetors guy. You know, when, even when I was going to school and going out, you know, and, and, you know, sneaking into the races in the trunk of my buddy's car. Nobody's, nobody's listening, right? Uh, limitations has expired <laughs> But gasoline carburetors was something that I could relate to. Did I love the nitro cars? Absolutely. The, the, just everything about them. But I couldn't relate to that. I could relate to gasoline carburetors. So that's always been you know, my, my class that I followed so closely. And then you know, having an opportunity to spend a few years working in that world and seeing what they go through and what they do and, and just the level of detail and all the ridiculous stuff that can slow one of those things down. Um, but yeah, it's it's prime time now, and the fact that we've talked about this for the last couple of years, because race and championship winning horsepower is available to the masses right now, that is making Pro Stock so much more fun to watch. Yeah, love Bob Glidden. I was a Ford guy. Love Bob Glidden. But when he would qualify number one, and he would have a tenth or a tenth and a half over the number two qualifier. That's not compelling competition when it comes to Sunday. It's like unless Bob makes a mistake, he's going to win the race. Right. When Warren Johnson had you know his dominant years, it was the same way. Unless Warren, and if you went to Warren and said, "Hey, I'd like you to build me a motor," nope, uh, it just wasn't in the cards. But the fact that today you can lease or buy race and championship winning horsepower that has made Pro Stock a really competitive affair 
And it's just, it's so much more fun to watch when you don't automatically know who the final four are going to be, or you don't go in looking at, okay, well, who's Bob or who's Warren going to race in the final? Because they are so dominant over the category. When you go in there now and you know, oftentimes the most important part of the performance of a pro stock car is the driver's left foot. And that's what makes it fun to watch. It really does. The driver factors in big time, hitting the shifts. They can definitely ruin a great run. Uh, Alan, we'll catch up more. We'll let you get back to recovery uh, on the uh, the Project Ram. You know, get back to your recovery, and we'll connect again uh, next week. Of course, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, what a season it was. We'll take this little Thanksgiving break. We'll get going uh, again next week. And, uh, you know, PRI, are you doing the PRI? Yeah, I actually got my credentials yesterday, so I'm pretty excited about it. Yep, looking forward to going back. And if anybody needs a used throwout bearing for a Dodge Ram, I've got one. He's got one. Some assembly required. Hey, better it broke on the way back or back as opposed to 10 hours out wherever you were in the middle of the desert. Oh, I'd have got home. Yeah. You don't need a throwout bearing to drive a truck. Right, but, uh, you know, something rattling around in there? I don't know. I'm not... uh, stick shift uh, oriented when it comes to things breaking in there i need to start thinking about it though it's getting to that point all right alan great job thanks so uh enjoy your happy hour i'm sorry i can't partake but uh, i'll share some news with you next week about what i did on wednesday after it's all said and done cannot wait talk soon happy thanksgiving see ya here goes the voice of the nhra alan reinhardt joins us each week right here on wfo radio subscribe click the bell those of you who are on youtube or whatever social media tweet retweet repeat push it out there so that the entire world that might enjoy this program can see it simple as that and we've got a happy hour on wednesday that is right we have got a happy hour michael heiner's like wait happy hour what that's right courtney anders jason logan going to be on the show we're going to recap we're going to do our best and worst dressed at the NHRA awards banquet. No, we're not going to do that. I don't think, but we're going to definitely talk about the awards banquet and maybe start some rumors for fun. That could be fun. So you definitely want to join us 3 PM Eastern time. And let's put some comments in the comment section, guys, let's get everybody uh, commenting and we'll do a little bit uh, as uh, after Alan conversation, Monica, happy Thanksgiving to Alan nitro shock and all pro stock equals finesse. I agree that will we ever see EFI and nitro racing? That's a good question. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we're going to see the nitro racing that we're seeing for a while. Would love to see the Smiths on WFO happy hour. I don't think that would be too hard to arrange. Uh, the problem is the only thing that I'm trying to manage is we got to have Matt and Angie on anyway, because they won the championship and won the race. And we like to, uh, do an interview with each race winner and each champion for history. And that wouldn't be it on the happy hour. I have done a poor job of reaching out to everybody and checking their availability just yet. So we'll see. We'll see. But you know, the happy hours, right? It's like I have the core group and then people pop on as they so choose. So you just, you never know what's going to happen on a WFO happy hour. You just don't know. And this one I think could be really great. 3 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. Subscribe, click the bell, be ready to have a little fun and blow off some steam. We'll also have our traditional WFO Christmas party later on in the winter break. And we're going to hear from every champion and all of the Auto Club Finals race winners. And uh, I'm starting to see, you know, they're doing appearances on other shows and whatnot. I used to race to get them on first. I no longer do that um, because I found that it's the more time that these things sink in, they simmer a little bit, the better the answers are. And also I wanted to break myself. It's true. 
Marvin Rodak, RodaksCoffeeAndGrills.com, 817-924-6821. I know you're thinking about gifts for the holidays already, and Black Friday is coming, and forget wasting your time on all of that. Just call Marvin. Make a little list, get a pound of coffee, a bottle of hot sauce, and a container of the A26 Spice Rub for each one of these people you want to give a great gift to, and send them out. 817-924-6821. Marvin Rodak, the best coffee from around the world, hot sauces, spice rubs. It's so good. It can't be real. And yet it is. And really, I had someone like, I can't order online. Why can't I order online? The answer is calling Marvin is part of the experience. Yes, it's a little old world, old timey calling somebody for something instead of just clicking a link. But it's better. Trust me on this one. RodaxCoffeeAndGrills.com. Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School. This is a higher level gift. This is, you know, costs like 400 bucks. But you're sending someone that you care about on an experience that will fundamentally change their perspective on life. Hanging out with Frank, driving a dragster, making a couple of runs, and learning more about your passion for drag racing. That is just invaluable. You should do it. The Dragster Adventure, frankholly.com. Be sure to tell them you heard about it on WFO. That can be accomplished just by saying, hey, WFO, and they'll know. Frankholly.com. Got to hang out with Frank a lot this year. Samtech.edu, the School of Automotive Machinists and Technology. We always say start your education at full speed. What it is is for military veterans. They're approved to train veterans under the GI Bill. You know that. But people out of school, college, high school, hands-on type people, Samtech can get you started in machining, machinist, engine building, CNC uh, programming, EFI tuning. They've got a lot of great classes down there in the Houston, Texas area. Call Brian Massengill. Like, go to the website, samtech.edu. Call Brian Massengill and say, hey, Joe told me to call you. What's up with the school? This is what I'm interested in. And they'll tell you all about it. Of course, Bernie's Speed Shop, Bernie's.com, Phillips Connect, FTIPerformance.com, and Total Seal Piston Rings which we've got something really big happening at uh, the PRI trade show. And then, of course, online at Engine Performance Expo. So stick with us on the Hidden Horsepower podcast. We'll let you know what's up in the coming weeks. I want to say what's up to the Patreons, patreon.com slash WFO radio. These are people that pay for WFO. A backstage pass is really what it is. The backstage pass to WFO. I just put up a little Monday motivation for everybody, just like this is what's going on and this is what we're doing and this is what we're planning. All of these things. And we're going to ramp up our WFO for Patreons during the winter break. So jump on board there. And remember to always check out our WFO store. Everything has to start with WFO on the show. Right? The WFO store where you can get some free stickers if you want. Send me a self-addressed stamp envelope. But really, T-shirts and all kinds of great gear that we've been crafting throughout the offseason. Including the fire T-shirts that everyone likes so much if I do bother to ever promote them. But sweatshirts and long sleeve T-shirts and mugs and hoodies, some that are worn. Now, we don't sell them that. Some that are worn by some of the greats in the world of drag racing. Nobody's using face coverings anymore, and isn't that great? But if you order something, you might get one because i got to get rid of them. Yeah, I'm confident that we're not going to have to need them again. But yeah, the WFO Fire T-shirt that everyone is liking. All right, let's see what people got to say. What are some of the comments out there in the comment section before we get up on out of here, right? Before we get up on out of here and see, uh, you know, what we'll see for the rest of the day. What are spotters? I heard a racer thanking the best spotter ever, maybe in stock or super stock. Doesn't sound like an acceptable thing. I, I didn't hear that. I don't know what you're talking about. What's a spotter? 
I don't know. Would a funny car run 340 with the headers laid back even more? Yes. I know the NHRA and Goodyear don't want those speeds. So you hear 7340, more headers laid back. It's a traction compound 7th. Oh my gosh, so many questions. We'll save those for Reinhardt next year. And the answer I can tell you on um, most of those are to be determined. Like the 70-30 exact ratio. What they need to do is they need to just stay connected with the crew chiefs, which I think they are. And whatever they're doing now, keep doing it. That's my advice. Whatever we just saw, let's keep seeing it because it made for some of the best drag racing. I think any of us has seen in our lives, you know, I'm fortunate that when people tell me it was better back in the day that my personal experience goes back to 1980. Yeah. I wasn't there in the seventies, uh, in person watch on TV. I was a little kid. My understanding of what was going on out there look at this chris garretson that's why my car goes slow i used two small wires when i wired it go figure what's up garretson go watch his attention in the pits he's a very character he calls himself an oddball but i have been able to witness an nhra national event live and in person every year since 1980 it is 2022 so i've got a pretty good understanding of what the product has been and what it is. And yes, you do not see people showing up with a third wing or some sort of visible, what's that going to do innovation very often. Instead, what we get are nitro drag races that are coming down to a thousandth of a second. You're seeing well-funded heavy hitter teams that are at the top of their game, go home defeated for no other reason than the other team was even better than they were. You're seeing the best of the best at their best with all that they've ever wanted and needed totally supplied at the max. Like two teams in the AFC championship game, say with no injuries, right? Like they've, they're at max strength. That's what we saw. I don't think it's ever been better. And I think the argument for the teams that are not quite at their very best is that they're getting better. Think about Alexis and Dell and Nikki and that team, like they trended up all year long. Alexis went through a little bit of an issue and uh, some red lights. And, you know, what did what she do? Didn't just keep going. No, went out and found some solutions and applied the solutions, Frank Hawley in particular. And it worked. I think everybody realizes now that being in the highest levels of this professional motorsport is not just guaranteed by wanting to be there. I want to be here and I've got the money. And so I'm going to do it. And I'm here. That is not what the sport is anymore. The sport is professional motorsport, the highest level of competition in drag racing. You want to be there. You got to be good and you got to get better. And whatever you are, you got to be better tomorrow. And that's true for everybody. I think it's, uh, I think it's amazing. The spot that the sport is in, but then again, on Wednesday, we'll get Jason Logan and Courtney Enders. Uh, opinion and you know maybe some other people if they want to be involved right maybe some other people whoever wants to be involved um there's often an after alan conversation yes <laughs> you're funny i'll be in my basement working hard on my bmx hot rod uh last race of the year december 3rd that's ant dog 
Ant is a big fan of WFO and he promotes WFO and his BMX circles out there. And uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Ant Dog. Happy Thanksgiving to you. When will Heiner be on for the private club? Oh, ask Jeff. I don't know. Me and Michael Heiner are working that out. We got to get some artwork of him with the mullet and then it'll be great. Krista could be fun for the happy hour. Well, listen, everybody's fun for the happy hour. You know, it's do they want to do it? Do they have the time to do it? Do they want to be involved? YouTube has funny car chaos footage for all you gearheads, says Ant Dog. Yeah, I had a good time at my first funny car chaos. WFO needs more Krista. You should have Cam and Angie on too. Yeah, these are all great ideas. Submit your ideas uh, at uh, all of our social media. WFO Radio, WFO Joe, Twitter, Instagram. Submit those off-season ideas. Winter break. Let's make them slap dial-ins on them. That I'm, I'm not into. Although they could, right? The, the, the handicap in the tree would be tough. I like pro stock back in the day when most people built their own engines and the cars looked like real cars. All right, Jim, let me put you on the spot, though. When most people built their own engines, so that is like sword fighting. Like, do you want to go back to sword fighting? No, you don't want to go back to sword fighting. Sword fighting, I mean, it's good for a movie. Everybody liked The Princess Bride, sword fighting. But really, my great friend Ernie McDaniel used to say it was like sword fighting, meaning antiquated. Like, nobody does that anymore. The idea that everyone's going to build their own engines. Well, like, you know, you could build your own engine and see how it goes. It's not going to go well. You're going to lose. And that's the evolution of every major motorsport on the planet. Nobody does that anymore. And really, in super comp and super gas, nobody does that anymore. Nobody does that anymore, except a couple of guys. They build their own engines. But for the most part, people go to an engine supplier that builds engines for many people and got their combinations really worked out and the reliability really worked out. It happens in obviously IndyCar and Formula One. There's only a couple of engine suppliers, the highest level NASCAR. There's only a couple of engine suppliers. It's just, it's not a realistic thing, right? We're going to drag a body out of a junkyard and we're going to put it on a pro stock car. The, the sport has evolved beyond that. They looked more like real cars. That part I could get behind. And uh, I tend to agree that if they looked a little more like real cars, it would be better. I agree with that. We got factory X coming. They're going to look like real cars. I think a nice middle point. But the fact that a Mustang looks like a pro mod, because everyone will tell you they love pro mod just the same, right? Nobody dislikes the cars in pro mod. They love the pro mod cars. Well, a pro stock car looks just like a pro mod car for the most part, except with a flat hood. It's just a different engine and driveline. So I don't buy that is the answer. I don't buy that. That's not what pro stock is. Oh, they got to look exactly real. I would prefer them look more real, but they've evolved to what they are and that's it. So is it a turnoff? No, it's not a turnoff. This is a category that is specifically about the last millionth of uh, of percent of the ma of of efficiency of ringing everything out of perfection it's the quest for perfection every time down the racetrack the driver has to hit every shift perfectly there's no other category that's like that right i guess top alcohol funny car you know you could ruin a run those guys would have to tell me like how much short shifting causes the problem do you destroy the run or not uh, i think the answer is probably but there's no turnoffs about pro stock. That's the point. 
the closest racing out there. It's amazing. They're not going 330 miles an hour. I get that. I get that. But what it has evolved to, like, remember Jerry Ekman's Camaros and the Firebirds. Those look like real cars. Yes, they were great. Dry hops were great. They were cool. But every run took a lot longer. The sport has just evolved beyond it. There were guys in the 1980s talking about the NFL and how it was better when Deacon Jones could slap someone in the side of the head, right? Like, yeah, man, back in the 70s, that's when the real stuff happened. And that happens in every sport. And in the 70s, there was a guy talking to someone about Deacon Jones about when he slapped the guy's helmet and cracked it, fiberglass helmet. It was better when we had leather caps, man. Those were the real men, the leather cap guys. That was awesome. No pads, leather cap, right? Get out there and really show us what you got. You get my point is every generation is going to look back at the previous generation and think, man, that generation was a better generation, but that's not the case. Pro stock, I think has never been better. Never been better. When the guys that built their own engines, you mean Bob Glidden, Ray Morrison, Frank Iaconio, Warren Johnson, right? Like there were four or five guys that could do it and have success. And pretty much everybody else was not sniffing there. Then, you know, you got into some areas where, you know, Yates and Schmidt and those guys, they were leasing engines. But now you want power, you got the power and you got multiple choices. So there it is. All right, guys. Let's see. Oh, look at this. Just listen to Hidden Horsepower tells a lot about how Pro Stock Engine has come. Isn't that the truth? And Hidden Horsepower, if you guys haven't been listening, we've had a lot of shows from last year's Engine Performance Expo. Unbelievable guests. Keith Dorton, unbelievable guests. Go to the Hidden Horsepower podcast feed and check out the show. There's been a new one each of the last... Fridays. We're like really ramping up the hidden horsepower. Larry Morgan, Ron Krischer. Yeah, Larry. Larry, I love Larry and I love Ron, but they were not like consistent winners. Like now where you've got, look, Erica just dominated the year with 10 wins. So maybe I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Who knows? But I love Larry Morgan. And I love some Ron Krischer. Speaking of uh, Michael Heiner. And Doc Surface, those guys were part of that team. Maybe that's what we'll have to talk to Heiner about. But then again, you can go into our archive and find a great WFO happy hour with Michael Heiner and Eddie Granaccia, and they uh, prefer the way things are now, too. Just saying. If you want high-powered engine that's built right, you better have a big wallet. Or maybe have the knowledge yourself or access to someone who's going to do it for you. But yeah. Very, you know, very uh, precise stuff. Pro stock pass and a short leaf shirt open helmet. Epic. Bill Jenkins with his cigar in his mouth. Hidden Horsepower is awesome. WJ Hidden Horsepower was great with WJ. Very informative show. Thank you for the plugs, guys. All right. Here's the deal. Off tomorrow. Please share this show out there. And then Wednesday. Happy hour, Jason and Courtney. Talking about the awards ceremony dishing on everybody, preparing for the winter break and Thanksgiving. And if you elect to not tune in, happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. Happy Thanksgiving to my extended WFO 
universe. I appreciate all you guys. Thank you for joining me on this Monday. I had a great time. Great show. Thanks to Alan Reinhardt. What a year it was. I'm super happy looking back at all these different elements, things that happen. And it's going to keep on going. We're headed to PRI in a few weeks. All right, guys. Appreciate all you. Final couple comments coming in. There you go. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in the archive. WFO. <laughs>